I'm happy you're here because without you, I would be preaching it myself, and I do that enough. Um, so, so let's let's break the mold a little bit, and uh, I'm excited for what God has in store for us over the next two weeks. We're going to be looking at a couple of verses for two weeks in a row um, because there's just some stuff that God's been putting on my heart for us as a church that I'm really excited about. And the, this passage we'll be dealing with over the next two weeks is Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen to sixteen. So that's going to be two weeks in this passage. Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16 and for those who want to follow in their own Bibles um, I'll say so long welcome to everyone else we're happy you're here I'm glad you guys have come here today and I'm really trusting that wherever you've come from you'll leave differently that's always my my prayer for us is that we have a real encounter with God that changes changes not just who we are but even our dispositions in life so Welcome, welcome. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. These are very important verses. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing privilege we have to be part of your church, to be part of your body. Thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with, with this local church called Living Waters. I want to thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to be called parts of this body. And today we come to your word not just to be informed, but to be transformed. So help us not just be hearers, but be doers. And really apply the truth of scripture to our lives so that we might glorify and honor you in our lives. Amen. I've noticed that life often happens in the extremes. I don't know if, if anyone has noticed that, but I, I personally try and stay away from extreme speech. You'll, you'll very, very seldomly, see, I, I don't even say never there. You'll very seldomly hear me say something like never or always because it kind of sets you up to be proved wrong. You know, it's always sunny or it, it's always rains during the tube race or, it, or those, those statements are especially prevalent with people who don't have kids yet. I don't know if you've noticed. My kids will never, <laughs> right? Come on now, let's have some grace for each other here. My kids will, I will never allow my children to do that. My children will, no, they will. They will. They will roll around on the floor in spar because you didn't buy the Paw Patrol water. They will. They will embarrass you so much that you have to rethink your statutes in life and have to wonder, should I just get you that water or must I stick to my guns? My kids didn't get the water, by the way, but it's not about parenting today, but they will. And when we say these extremes, never, always, it, it, it sets us up for failure. And, and this goes even further. I, I want to talk more about these extremes because these situations, I feel like it sometimes ignores the truth when we go to extremes. But then we like pitting things against each other. We're like, it's either green or blue. It can't be both, you know? It's either this or that. It feels like sometimes we force life into a game of would you rather. It really does. Like we force life into a game of would you rather go through life without hearing or without sight? 
Think about it. Would you rather go without sight or without hearing? Uh, or, or maybe another scenario might be if you're, you're stranded on an island, would you rather be stranded alone or with someone who doesn't stop talking, with a hind? Alone or with hind? A lot of people are like, alone, hind, I'm alone, I'm good, I'm good, praise Jesus, thank you Jesus. Um, but we, we force life into these extremes, these either or situations. And, and to be honest, we all have answers now, blind or, or deaf, alone. I don't want to be either. That's my answer. It's like, no, I want to see and hear. Thank you, Jesus. That is a gift. I don't want to be stranded on an island. And since I watched Titanic, I don't like boats anymore. Anyone else? Like, everyone's like, let's go on a cruise. No, thank you. Icebergs, guys, icebergs. Maybe I've got a wrong view about something, but, but we kind of do the same in church. We put it in these extremes. It's true. And one of the ways we do that is when we start discussing the question, what should the role of the church be outside the church? We find these extremes that, and this has been an argument for millennia, don't worry, this is not new, but, but you have one camp of people that says, no, but the church should be completely separate, completely holy, we should live in monasteries. No, I'm not bashing any churches, that's just a perspective that people have, you know, you should, you should major on that idea, that, that holiness. And then you get to the other side, and they're like, no, 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 we should infiltrate, you know, and then you get to churches that, that play secular music and, and, and worship to, just to sing songs, and you... I don't know about that. You, the, the pastors swear a little bit, you know, just to make it a bit more, you know, relatable. So watch out for this service, guys. It's coming. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But you get that. And, and the heart, again, is pure because they really want to reach out to people. And listen, that's the beauty of, of both these positions is I think there is merit to both of them. There's, there's, there's merit to wanting to pursue righteousness and holiness and, and wanting to honor God. And there's merit to wanting to evangelize and reach out and be applicable and draw people to Jesus. But I don't think it should be an either or. I don't think church should be a game of would you rather. I don't think this, this is what Jesus ever intended, to be quite honest, because we see Jesus as, we take Jesus as an example, right? I mean, he's, he's the guy. He, he's the one, let's be honest. And yet thousands upon thousands followed him. And that's before there was population booms, by the way, if we must just be honest. So if thousands followed him, it should be many a thousands today. And he was completely honest and completely truthful and completely gracious and completely merciful and and I think he said, listen, guys, I want you to do the same. I, I want you to not sit in these camps of extremes, but rather I want you to, to infiltrate the world, to influence the world. And that's what we're going to be talking about for this next two weeks is we're going to be talking about salt and light. And it's because I believe we are called to be an influence. So today is just about being salt or being salty. Um, we have to redeem that because salty is maybe not the best word, uh, being salty. But I think the church should be salty in the most amazing, amazing sense of the word. And I feel like when we move into what we're called to be salt and light, we'll really be able to find the midway between the either or would you rather extremes that the church can fall into.
as I believe there is a midway. And I want to just quickly talk about the context when Jesus said this. Now, this is right at the beginning, just after the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, which is three of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible, by the way. I think if we can preach those couple of chapters just over and over and over again throughout the year, we would look better as a church. Believe me, it is phenomenal. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go read it. Matthew chapter 5 to 8. Uh, well, 2 7 technically is, is a good one. But go read it, go internalize it, go live it. Um, it is just the most amazing thing. But we have to just look at the context. Now, first and foremost, when he spoke about salt and light, they would have understood it to mean something different from what we would. In that culture, it meant something different. But we can't deny that he just spoke about the Beatitudes. So he said, okay, Christians, this is who you are. You are those who are poor in spirit, mourning meek, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, and yet who is persecuted and hated by the world. In fact, this is the last statement he makes. He says, rejoice and be glad in, in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he says, you are the salt. In the same context, in the same message, in the same moment, he says, you're going to be persecuted, but they need you. The world isn't always going to accept you but they need you. Now, now I want to say here that it's may, maybe not the best idea now to run tomorrow and every time someone doesn't like you, but you need me. That's not, not going to give us the kind of influence we want. But Jesus was saying, hey, you're supposed to fulfill a special role in society. Yes, there's going to be times of hatred and persecution, but, but you're supposed to fulfill a specific role in society. You're supposed to be the salt and you are supposed to be the light. That's who you are. Before I continue in explaining a bit more about the salt and, and that's all we're talking about today is being the salt, we have to take stock for a moment. Just, just a moment. We have to be realistic and honest with ourselves. I think it's healthy sometimes just to pause and to say, okay, Hein, how am I actually doing? I think it's a good place to start. If I want to draw you a map to get from here to now spread, I better know where here is. Amen. Sometimes we know where we want to go, but we don't know where we are. So we don't know how to take the steps to get there in our lives. So let's for a moment just pause because if we think about these kind of teachings of Jesus, when we think about how clear these instructions are that is giving us, we need to ask ourselves, am I being the salt and the light? Is that, is that something I can claim of myself at the moment? And I think, I'll be honest here, I think we should really examine our lives pretty carefully before we call ourselves Christians. Because that word comes with certain connotations. Friedrich Nietzsche, and I can't believe I'm quoting Nietzsche in a sermon for anyone who likes philosophy, Friedrich Nietzsche is also the guy that famously said God is dead, God remains dead, and we killed him when he, when he spoke about how society has fallen away from, from morality and, and replaced God with, with government. But that's neither here nor there. That's, uh, uh, we'll talk about that some other times. But Friedrich Nietzsche also said there's only ever been one Christian, and that is Christ. And I can't help but wonder, what if that were not the case? What, what if people encountered more Christians than just Christ? 
What if Friedrich Nietzsche's story was different? What if he encountered people who was actually living as the salt and the light? What if he said, there's only ever been two Christians, Fricky over there and Jesus? Because what if our co-workers had to experience Christ? What would the world look like if our families encountered Christ? Because that is actually what we're called here. And to claim we are Christian is to claim that we're following him and we're imitating him and we're embodying his example. That we're chasing after his kingdom and his principles and his morality. That he is what we're trying to achieve in life. And I know, I'm not saying, hey, you're not allowed to call yourself Christians anymore. Okay, so don't worry about that. I'm saying, hey, let's do better. Is that okay? Let's do better. Because our drive as Christians, our, our heart should be to reveal God to people, to lead people into a relationship with Him so that we might save people from fire. So that we might save them from hell. That's a pretty important call Jesus is giving us. Christianity is more than, and bless you for coming to church, thank you so much. Well, it is your blessing, but, but it's more than that. It should permeate every area of our lives and it should be evident to all of society. Now, this is a high call and I want to encourage you that it is possible. And that's what I love doing. If you know me, you know I love practical faith. In other words, we look at the principles and then we look at how to apply it. So by the end of today, you have no more excuse. You know how to be the salt, all right? And we're going to go out and we're going to be a salty church from here on out. And I love talking about salt because I always have the image of bultong. Anyone else? Anyone else been thinking about bultong? I know you guys have. But anyway, so let's get to it. Let's get to what it, what it means to be the salt because first and foremost, we just need to accept that we need to move past the me. It's, it's impossible to be the salt of the world if you're only serving your own health and happiness. That's not what we're called to. In fact, it doesn't say, Jesus didn't say, you are the salt of yourselves. He said, you are the salt of the world. And if we have a me-focused religion, then we'll always miss the very purpose what God, that God has in store for us. If we have a me-focused Christianity, if, if Christianity, in fact, I love that it's still called Christianity because it keeps Christ at the center of our focus, not me. And that is step number one. And I want to quickly just talk to you about maybe the historical reality of salt, if that's okay. Because first and foremost, we need to accept that when Jesus said salt, in that culture, an ancient culture, they would have understood a couple of things that that would have meant. First, and, first thing there is, is value. Salt was incredibly valuable. In fact, some people use salt as money. They would trade with salt. Some people were paid wages in salt. And apparently also, I looked at this, this is where he's not his, his worth his, his salt, but a man is say Apparently that's actually where it comes from. Because when you're not worth your wages, you see your salt because salt was that valuable. And they used to share salt with people that, that to show friendship because it was so valuable they would share their salt with each other and show, hey, I've got your back. Look, I'd even share my salt with you. Which is interesting. Next week I'm gonna have some 
some spiky salt. Because now it's cheap. We don't understand that. Also, when they made promises, they would each eat some salt. Because it was so valuable, they would eat. So it's like, hey, you know, I owe you a hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Take a spoon of salt with me, my man. I don't know. I don't know about that. But, but that showed the incredible value. So when Jesus said salt, they would have known I should be adding value. I should be adding value. Just because I'm in a room, the room should be better off because of it. I should be adding value. And one of the ways we do that, and it's something they would have understood, is because salt preserves. Bolton. Here it comes. I'll make my own biltong sometimes, well, I used to a bit more, but, uh, and uh, I've made two salty biltong as well, but that's besides the point. In those days, there wasn't a thing such as refrigerators and whatnot, so they would have laid in salt or a saline solution. They would make salt and water uh, mixtures, and they would preserve their food like that. So they had biltong long before we did. We just have to accept that. But this was understood in that time, and it was an historical use of salt. And if Jesus is calling us and calling the church in that time to say, hey, you guys are supposed to be a, a moral preservative for society, we have to assume moral decay. Okay, so, so I know this is maybe one step further, but we have to acknowledge that left to itself, the world and all its systems decays. This is, this is a reality. Anything and everything left to itself is rotting. All right? So Jesus says, hey, I want you to get in there. I want you to be a moral preservative for society. In other words, because you are there, you will preserve morality. This is a high call once again. Now, I'm not saying this, and don't, don't misunderstand this. The world and all its things will pass. Jesus teaches that in Matthew 24, if you read on a little bit. But we should be having a positive influence on the morals around us. Because we are supposed to be a moral preservative. And how we do that, first and foremost, is we pray. Amen? We pray. We pray for our businesses and our families. We pray for our schools. We pray for everything. We pray for the government. We pray for ESCOM. Imagine we prayed as much as we complained about ESCOM. Load shedding would be long gone. Anyway, that was for free. Let's end the service. No, I'm joking. Um, that's <laughs> we pray. Not because we want God's wrath to settle on these people but because we really want the best for them. I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to be straight for a minute. I wish I've heard as many prayers for the souls of our leaders as I have heard prayers to take them out of positions. I so often hear, God, let your wrath, let your fury fall down on them. And I think, yes, God, I would so rather see him in heaven. Can we not pray for people's souls? Can we not pray for their salvation? Anyway, that was for free. If that's for you, start praying for their salvation. But anyway, we should be praying for the moral preservation of our society. And the second way we do it, the second way we become the salt as a moral preservative is we have godly influence by modeling godly behavior. 
we model godly behavior. So we love the outcasts. We befriend the sinners. We're there to, to be different in society. That, that's what we're called to do. So whenever there's dishonesty, we are honest. We live lives of integrity. We don't do shady deals and we stand up for righteousness and we condemn sin. This is what we're called to, to be moral preservatives. So we preserve the morals. Now, I get it. This is a little bit of an important thing, well, a difficult thing, but I want to give you just a quick tip on, on how do we love well. Because as we're saying this, I know there's people saying, hi, but you don't understand. I've got that person at work. Don't name them. All right. Everyone's like, yo, it's, it's Fricky. Um, I'm sorry to a Fricky out there that's listening. I don't know why Fricky is my go-to. But we all have a Fricky. <laughs> We all, <laughs> we all have difficult people in our lives. We do. We have people that's not going to be as easy to love as others. This is a reality. But, but to love well, we need to have equal amounts of grace and truth. And this is somewhere where we can go wrong. It is. Because when we fall to either of these two extremes, what we do is, is we don't actually love people. So what one extreme on the truth side is we throw over our, our tomaticacy at, at the town square. We start screaming at everyone, which is true. Sin does lead to, well, broken relationships, suffering in life, and internal damnation. This is true. It's truth. But once you take the grace out, you're no longer representing Christ. Because what I didn't see is Jesus throw over at the Marticacy. What I did see is Jesus party crashing Zacchaeus' house. What I did see is Jesus mixing with the sinners, infiltrating and making a difference. What I did see is acceptance and love and grace. On the other side of it, we might fall to the part of, we'll just accept and we'll just show grace and oh, we won't correct behavior. Well, that's not love either. That's loving them so much you'll allow them to destroy themselves. That doesn't sound very loving to me. But when grace and truth comes together, this is how we can truly love people. When we have equal grace and equal truth for people. But that was for free. I want to talk about the third thing that I would have understood salt to mean is salt makes things tasty. Amen. Salt makes things tasty. You are put in this world. You are here to add flavor. Which is the th funny thing about, and, and I know some people like, you know, some people add a bit too much flavor. Yeah? Um, and that's the funny thing about salt because salt by itself is one of the most disgusting things you'll ever eat in your life. Anyone ever just take a spoon of salt for some reason? It's disgusting. It's overpowering. And, and yet when you add salt to a stew, it brings out other flavors. Think about it. By itself, it's one of the most incredibly powerful tastes that you really don't like. But when you mix it into the stew, it enhances everything else. It, it, unless you put in too much. But that's learn to spice your food, people. And this is the effect Christians should have. It's when, when we're in the world, when we're around people, we should bring out the best of the flavors. Because sometimes I think we, we as, as Christians, we want to deny personality, and I don't believe Jesus wants that. 
you guys know, one of the things I love so much about this church is how flavorful it really is. I don't know, last year we had a, at a, at a culture day and we had some flavors, amen? And it was good. And we celebrated that God made us different and together we represent flavor and we bring out the better in each other. And this is what Jesus is saying. Hey, this world is so focused on consumption, you better make something that is good. You better help them see what is truth. You better bring out the best flavors in people. You should add value. You should preserve. And you should bring out good flavor. And then Jesus goes on and he says, if salt should lose its flavor. Now, by the way, salt for all those people who's much smarter than I am, um, it's a very interesting statement because it's a very harsh statement. If it should lose its, lose its flavor, it becomes worthless. But salt, as in, I'm going to read this so I don't mess this up because uh, this is not my strength. Um, salt is a mineral composed of sodium and chlorate, so it's NaCl, okay, which is actually a very stable substance. Okay, so salt by definition stays salty. It cannot become less salty. That doesn't happen to that thing, all right, for all the clever people. The only way salt can lose its flavor, because there is a way, is contamination and separation. Contamination and separation. So in the Dead Sea, what would have happened is the salt molecules, <laughs> look at me, anyway, the salt molecules would have been combined with other things such as mud and boron and all kinds of other things would have added and then the salt would have lost its flavor. It would have started tasting bad because it started taking on what's around it rather than staying pure in what it was supposed to be. Are, are we getting what I'm saying here yet? When salt tar starts to take on more of the, the things around it than what it was called to be inside it, what it does, it starts losing its value in society. We know this. When Jesus taught on this, Paul spoke about this. He said, hey, you should not be imitators of the world because when you become imitators of the world, you're being contaminated and your salt is losing its taste and its value. And then Jesus goes on. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Don't even put it on the compost heap because it's not going to be good for it. Throw it out. This is a pretty stern and serious warning. And, and, and I think that it's so clear that we must be careful that we are not contaminated and we are not separated. Salt becomes less salty when you mix it in a bunch of water. Why? Because it is separated. And I think that's another danger so many Christians are in. And hear my heart here is they separate themselves too much. And they actually lose their flavor. And Jesus said, hey, be careful. Be careful. Don't conform to this world. Don't be, be contaminated by the things of this world. And make sure you stay within the body of believers. Not exclusively, but make sure that you don't lose your flavor. I want to end off here. We've got about five minutes and I'm going to run through a couple of practical things because I believe just as we can become less salty technically, we can become more salty. All right? For the salty people out there. There is a way to increase what God has given us, this role of being the salt of the earth. There's a way to increase it. And the first thing is we need to be different. 
Just the other night we were eating pasta, and if you eat pasta, it's something we know. Pasta is difficult to salt, because it's never enough until it's too much. But anyway, and the pasta wasn't salty enough, and guess what, I didn't add more pasta to make my pasta more salty. That doesn't work. The world doesn't need itself to bring out the goodness. The world needs something different. And we should look different. We should have different strategies. We should do different things. We should not conform to this world. We should be honest when the world is dishonest. We should be righteous when the world is unrighteous. We should be inclusive when the world is exclusive. We should fight differently. Because meat doesn't salt meat. Salt salts meat. And this is something that we as the church need to be very careful of, that we don't employ the same strategies of the world because that's not what we've been called to. That's not what we've been called to. People shouldn't have to read your statement of faith to know you're a Christian. They should see it in your life. They should see it in your life. And so often, Christians and Christian institutions can fall into this trap of looking so much like the world that we lose our saltiness. So, if you want to be salty, be different. Be different. Number two, salt can only work its magic in food if it's actually mixed into the food. It doesn't help salt sits in a shaker, all right? Salt needs to be mixed in. See, you and I were called to be the salt of the earth, which means we have a role to play in this world. Let me rephrase that. You have a role to play in this world. You have a role to play in your relationships that you're struggling with right now. You have a role to play in your businesses, in your companies. You have a role to play in your schools, in your universities. You are placed there to be different, to be the salt. We don't get, by the way, sorry, but we as Christians don't get to say, oh no, this is a hopeless situation. We don't get that. We don't have that. All we have is to say, hey, I need to be a bit more salty for this situation. I need to increase my saltiness. Maybe we should get Sunny, because Sunny says, hey, salty, if I suck a salt slip, and maybe she can drag that to our workplaces. I say that 10 times fast, I practice that one. The third way is we must stay salted. We must be very careful that our only influence is not those who we are supposed to be influencing. We must be very careful that we make sure that we separate who's supposed to influence us and who we are supposed to be influencing. And why I say that is because, yes, point two was mix in, so that is you need to influence, but point number three is stay salted, make sure you're being influenced. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who will bring out the best in you, that you, you come to church and be instructed by the word of God, that you have small groups or, or friendship groups that is actually bringing the best out of you because it's so important when we separate, and this is one of, sorry, when we being diluted, this is one of the two ways we can lose our saltiness. We're gonna lose our effectiveness in this world. So point number three in how to be more salty or doing what you're supposed to do is stay salted. Point number four, and this is an obvious one, you cannot imitate someone you do not know. And the point of being the salt of the earth is to show the world who Jesus really is, is to prove Friedrich Nietzsche wrong. To say, no, there, there are more Christians than just Christ. But you cannot imitate who you do not know. 
So point number four is so important. Continually grow in your relationship with Christ. Continually know Him. He's the one we should imitate, and He's, well, He's not just our inspiration, but He's our reason. And point number five, this is the last one, and this is a very important one, so listen up, I left, I left a good one for last. Don't be intimidated by your size. Salt isn't a very big thing, is it? Even the amount of salt you might put into a big pot of stew seems insignificant when you hold it next to it. You might think, how can, can this little bit ever influence that big? It's just me. How can, how can I influence a company or, or a school or something? Look how small I am. Look how big this pot is. How am I actually going to add flavor? How am I, how am I going to save it in, in terms of moral decay? How am I going to bring out the best? Don't be intimidated by your size. It's amazing what God can do with a willing heart and a willing hand. And where you are, even if you feel like, Han, I'm a teaspoon of salt. Well, get mixed in. Get mixed in. We should not deny the work of God in our lives and we should never think that, hey, I'm not big enough, I'm not loud enough, I'm not famous enough, I don't get to change this because that's just, I'm a little bit insignificant, high, not a chance. It takes a very little bit of salt to flavor a stew. And I want to encourage you that even though you might feel like, like you don't have the most senior role in your company, and if you do, you've got no excuse, but that, we'll talk about that next week. Um, <clears throat> don't be discouraged by your size. Don't be discouraged by who you are. Don't be discouraged. You have been called to make a difference. You have been called to be mixed, and you have been called to be the salt of the earth. And that means that we go out there and we show this world what we have received. We show the world love and truth and grace. We go out there and we add flavor. We make things valuable. In other words, we add our giftings and our talents to this world. We help them. And by the grace of God, we save them. The only thing that really remains is, will we take up this incredible privilege of being the salt of the earth? Will we take up this incredible privilege that God has given us and said, hey, you're my plan now. You are my plan to add flavor to this world. You are my plan to make a difference. Will we be the salt? Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord, that, that here we sit in, in 2023 and we still have the mandate to be the salt of the earth. And Lord, we want to ask you today that you would give us the, the grace, the power, and the wisdom to really imitate you in this world. Because God, we do not want to see the moral decay. We don't want to see people lost. But rather, we want to see people redeemed by the love of Jesus. So help us, Lord, when we go from here to be mixed in and to bring out the best, to add value and to save from moral decay. Help us to act differently, help us to stay salty, and help us never to be discouraged, but rather to know that with you, Lord, we are able to make a difference. We're able to make a difference in those difficult relationships, in our marriages, in our relationships with friends, with family, in our schools, in our businesses. We are able 
to make a difference because you are with us. So thank you for this day, Lord. Help us to go from here and be truly salty. In Jesus' name, amen.